0: I think I'm having an art attack! What's up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of Art Attack with your host, Lizzie Dastin, art historian, myself, Bua. And before we start, I'm going to tell everybody out there uh, that December 15th, from 1 to 5, I'm going to be having an Art for the People show. It's going to be amazing. It's where I sell and sign prints and books uh, and all kinds of stuff. Originals, original drawings and paintings, Lizzie. Isn't
1: that crazy? It's the craziest thing I've ever heard.
0: It's going to be at the Mayfair Hotel. The Mayfair Hotel is actually gorgeous. It's beautiful. There's a bar there. There's food there. Uh, it's all ages. It's free and if you want to know where it is, it's at 1256 West 7th Street, Saturday the 15th. Mark it in your calendar and it's in the back of the Mayfair Hotel at the library bar. So bring your friends, bring your friends, friends, and your friends, 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 friends. Okay, guys?
1: And your reading glasses.
0: Yeah, and if you want to meet Lizzie, she'll be there too. Cool. So today we're going to talk about one of Lizzie's heroes, one of Lizzie's gods, one of Lizzie's art icons, and somebody that I actually don't care for whatsoever.
1: Everybody's shocked.
0: <laughs> don't be shocked. In fact, if we're actually talking about Robert Rauschenberg. And if you want his last name, it's R A U S C H E N B E R G. Robert, I hope you can spell because if not, then, you know,
1: we're in a lot he of died. trouble. died. That's disrespectful.
0: Robert Rauschenberg? <laughs> yeah. What do you mean?
1: No, I mean, he's no longer here. So you said Robert. I thought you were addressing Robert.
0: Oh, no, no, no. I'm saying if you can't <laughs> spell Robert, then.
1: <laughs> yeah, then that's an issue.
0: There's an issue. But Rauschenberg seems difficult to spell. So anyway, Robert Rauschenberg is the artist. And if you want to see my commentary on Rauschenberg, which I don't know if you've ever seen, Lizzie, I have a YouTube video uh, that I did for Ovation TV uh, on Rauschenberg. It's called Boa Riffs. So if you want to look at Bua Riffs, Robert Rauschenberg, check it out. That's my feeling about him. But you'll hear a little bit about what Yeah, I want to today.
1: experience it. I want your commentary to wash over me because I have a feeling we have different perspectives on Rauschenberg's work. That's and fine. And he is definitely one of, in my opinion, the top five most significant artists of the oh my God. 20th century.
0: <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's already oh. starting off with a bang, guys.
1: <laughs> I can't wait. I'm so excited to talk about his work, especially since it is has so many different layers. It's so textured in a literal way because he often built up his surfaces and he would use collage, but also in an emotional way. So just to give some context, Rauschenberg is emerging in the art scene in Manhattan in the wake, or I guess at the height of the popularity, of abstract expressionism. And that was the popular art aesthetic of the day and just as a little recap on Abex, it's all about these wild sweeping brushstrokes. It's about mark making. It's about scale. It's about painting huge to be intimate. And it is incredibly hyper masculine and very aggressive. And Rauschenberg, he was essentially an, a visual anarchist against the Abex aesthetic. He, went the opposite direction. And so Pollock is splashing these incredibly energized drips on a canvas, and Rauschenberg starts out painting three canvases uniformly white. There is no sense of the artist's hand. There's no mark-making that is apparent at all. And so we still retain this very large scale, but everything else has been completely erased from the abex expectation. And he called these paintings clocks, which I think is pretty brilliant because he said that if you really contemplated them, you would see shadows pass by the surface telling you what time of day it was. And so it wasn't just about the painting, but how the painting changed and transformed through time Uh, using light as this integer of transformation. So I think that is really cool. And also his use of this three, the tripartite composition, that goes back to the, uh, the tradition of triptychs in religious artwork that is the most significant, the holiest of scenes where the central image is typically Christ on a cross and then the two flanking images will be other scenes from the Bible like the Annunciation or something else. Those are actually the two, the only two Bible scenes I can think of right now, but something that has this elevated sense of spiritual importance. And so by eliminating subject matter and also going one step further and eliminating the own trace of his hand, Rauschenberg is really doing something conceptual, and it is also aligned with other creative innovators at the time, this dancer named Merce Cunningham and the composer John Cage, who famously, I think we've talked about it on this show, he composed a piece called Four Minutes and Thirty-Four Seconds where he had a full orchestra in a room, and then at the start of the piece, everybody lifted their instruments, and then it was followed by that amount of time of silence. And so every iteration is different because people are going to shift, people are going to cough, people are going to stretch and make creaky noises, and so it becomes more a performance of nothing and of silence and of spontaneity rather than anything that is formed in any kind of positive uh, way.
0: Right. And I think you were on to something when you said a performance of nothing. I think that was really you <laughs> hit it on the head with Rauschenberg right
1: there.
0: <laughs> yeah. To me, you know, I it's it's sometimes when you go to a museum and, you know, like I say, you know, the museums today are very conceptually, leaning towards conceptual art and contemporary art. And most museums these days do favor that kind of work. And and although there is conceptual, conceptual art and contemporary art that I like, um, Rauschenberg is definitely not one of my favorites. And I'm putting that mildly. You know, I, I, and when I put my video of Rauschenberg up, I got a lot of hate because a lot of people feel the way you do. They're very, uh, very pro- conceptual art and they're certainly pro Rauschenberg and I don't understand him and that's fine I don't really care but you know I'm an artist so I'm coming from a place of being an artist and there's nothing first of all in here that is reminiscent of understanding of good drawing is this is not about good drawing this is not about good painting this is not about draftsmanship this is not about understanding color value saturation harmony hue texture texture sure we could give him texture sure but to me it's uh it's just really like a hodgepodge of conceptual garbage. I look at his work, and especially his, his combines, and I actually really thought, when I first saw one of his combines, that it was a homeless shelter that somebody put in a museum. I was like, oh, that's a homeless shelter. And then so like the running joke is now, like when, my, when I would take my daughter downtown, I'd be like, oh, look, it's a Rauschenberg. Oh, but it's not, it's a homeless God, shelter, I because know. I feel like it's very, Manny's looking at it like stunned. Manny, are you feeling like that's a homeless shelter? Yeah, he's nodding his head. <laughs> so and even like bed. I mean like he takes a painting like bed, which he's which is at the MoMA that he did in nineteen fifty-five, and it's a dirty quilted sheet that is a pillow which is hung. I can't tell I, I guess it's hung on the wall, obviously, right? It's not on the ground. Not
1: obviously though, because a bed is a horizontal piece of furniture or you rest, you interact with it horizontally, but he is displaying it vertically. But it
0: is so dirty and so gross. And so I would never want that on my wall. I could never see that on the wall. And if this fetches millions of dollars, it just disturbs me because to me, he represents everything that is wrong with the art world. In other words, when I go see a conceptual painting and I read the placard and it says bed and then... I talk to a wonderfully articulate art historian such as yourself, and they go, Oh, this is what's so great about it, and this and that. That's where I feel like the the boundary of esoteric just goes too far. I feel like it's just too far. This is you like art has gone too far where I'm like, This this has to stop. Like I must say, <laughs> we I have to put my foot down. Like this is just this is not art anymore. Like Okay, we can call it conceptual cleverism, perhaps. Maybe cleverest is a good way to call him. But please don't put Rauschenberg in the same conversation of artists as an Egon Schiele, a Gustav Klimt, a Howard Pyle, a Degas, a, you know, anybody that we've talked to, a Rockwell on this podcast, I get it, and even a Warhol or a Banksy, because to me what he's doing. And by the way, that being said, I must have an aversion towards him because my teacher, Phil Hayes, who was the chairman of Art Center in the 90s, he used to talk like Thurston and like this. He was like, boo, I really feel like you need to be more Rauschenberg. <laughs> he loved Rauschenberg and, and he always made us do these really weird boxes, like these really crazy conceptual boxes. And I know that he does work where it's three-dimensional and box-like and he's got a you know, look, people wax poetically about Rauschenberg, and especially in the contemporary art world. But a lot of those people also do not know how to draw at all. And just because you take a couple of drawing and painting classes, that don't mean shit. Because drawing is a very painful, uh, and painting is a very painful process in understanding that. And look, you know me. I love Romar Bearden. I think Bearden's a genius. You know me. I love Hockney. I think, I th- I think that, you know, I don't call him hackney. I call him Hockney. I don't think he's a hack like a lot of people do. I think he's great. I love his collages, and I look at I look at um, Rauschenberg, and you know, I'm gonna be nice and say I don't get it. But to me, I feel like I gotta just be like, we we gotta really think about this, guys. Like, what are we supporting here? Now, this is these are these are fetching millions of dollars. Like, I would say to you, can't. Anybody do this? This one right here. Okay, let me, let me just point this one to Lizzie, because I want Lizzie's real feedback on I'm going to talk about bed. I, There's I feel... so
1: many things that you're bringing up that okay, I just want to talk about. Okay, hold on. Before we talk about,
0: about bed, <laughs> let's talk about this red Thing right here. I don't know what it's called. It's it's the combine from fifty four to sixty four. He looked took, took ten years to do this piece of garbage. Oh my god! Uh, I took ten years to do this piece of garbage, <laughs> and uh, I'm gonna call it combine. It's like what the fuck is going on in the art world? But talk to me about bed. Tell me why I should change my opinion because I am all ears.
1: Oh my God, I'm super excited. Okay, well, first of all, you mentioned that he shouldn't be in the same category as a Sheila or a Degas, and I couldn't agree more. Not every artist has to be doing everything, and Rauschenberg was not trying to draw. What do you mean
0: every artist has to be doing everything?
1: Well, not every artist has to have an elevated skill set in drawing and painting and sculpture and casting. I, I agree. Yeah, and so he's not in the same category as a draftsman because he's not... Showcasing himself as a draftsman. Totally agree. But when you mention combine, I think it's worth explaining to our listeners what that is. So it literally means it's combining garbage.
0: <laughs> no, I'm sorry. What is it? No, I'm totally kidding.
1: Sometimes it does incorporate found objects, which one man's trash, another man's treasure. Absolutely. Boo's trash is Lizzie's treasure. There you go. <laughs> but he's hey, combining... listen. If I had a
0: Rauschenberg, I would take it to uh, Sotheby's right away and help you and have you help me <laughs> auction it <laughs> off to make that money. <laughs>
1: And I would be weeping the whole time, I knowing know, you'd that you like don't sell it, <laughs> no, don't sell it, it. So he is collapsing the distinctions between painting and sculpture. So his work has three-dimensional elements and yet is often exhibited on a wall and not on a pedestal like sculpture is is traditionally shown. So he is disrupting the boundaries of what defines a painting, what defines a sculpture, and bed from 1955 is really his first fully realized combine. And he was really broke at this point, and so he didn't have enough money for a canvas. So he ended up using his own bedding, his sheets, his own pillow, and a quilt that was given to him by his ex-wife. And Rauschenberg was a gay man. He and Jasper Johns were actually in this secret relationship. And it was secret because the tenor of 1955 was just very repressive to anybody whose sexuality was not normative in their opinion. So anyone who was not heterosexual in uh, the traditional way was kind of marginalized. And Rauschenberg didn't want that type of identity placed on him. And so he and Johns were secretive about their relationship. But I see bed as the most personal and the most confessional work that Rauschenberg ever did in the rest of his combines. The reason they took so long to do is because first of all, he had to roam the streets and acquire pieces of discarded items or find them in flea markets, things that resonated with him that seemed to have some kind of power imbued intrinsically. And it takes a while to have that happen. So anyway, whenever he would make a combine, he said that if it felt personal in any way or if it felt like it was an allegory of something or if it was referencing something intimate within him, he scrapped it and started again. And the reason he did that was because he is vehemently opposed to the abstract expressionist. And so for them, everything was about the internal landscape of the mind and And the subconscious need to just spill your own experiences onto some kind of surface. And so Rauschenberg was denying that impetus in his combines. However, I argue that bed is the only time that he really is personal. And if you think about what a bed is, we do our most intimate things or our most intimate actions happen in beds. It's you're born in a bed, you sleep in a bed, you have sex in a bed you die in a bed so a bed becomes this locus of intimacy and when Rauschenberg is using his own bed to create this combine how is he not personally imbued within that and i see this piece as an homage to abstract expressionism a little bit because like pollock he's taking something that is typically horizontal like pollock works horizontally and then eventually orienting it vertically so he didn't show the bed as we we live in it. He showed it on the wall. And also, he's splattering paint in a very Polokian manner, but he is... <laughs> Polokian. <laughs> I know. I That's think I funny. just made that up. I don't I know. I like, I like it. I <laughs> it like it. It feels good. No,
0: it makes sense. That's a good one.
1: Thanks. So he he's really taking something that is ubiquitous, this found object, so to speak, and he is blurring the boundaries between painting and sculpture and our expectations of each. But he's also imprinting something that's deeply personal into this particular work that I believe was in some way a reference to his relationship with John's.
0: I'm working on a piece right now called Cup. And I found a cup in the gutter. And I'm going to imbue it with my... um... (laughs) See, it's... it's a lot. It's a lot for me to to chew on. Uh, and I understand, look, everybody brings their personal experience into their work. I mean, that is what an artist is, right? An artist is going to just spill their soul onto a canvas. And I don't agree with you that this is the first time. Perhaps he's blurring the line with sculpture and, uh, and art, but I believe that Picasso did that. I feel, I feel like Brock did that. I feel like other artists had done that uh, prior to Rauschenberg. I think that Perhaps uh, he was one of the originators in terms of found objects, but you know I think that also other artists did that as well. I'm looking at this from an artistic point of view, from a, from a personal point of view, from a taste point of view, uh, really knowing his story and trying to also separate and be objective and not know his story. And I look at it as a hodgepodge of of K. It should be called bed bugs, by the way, because it looks dirty <laughs> and filthy. Um, but I don't really like the colors. I, and look, you you don't have to like the colors. And perhaps because I'm having such a vitriolic reaction to the actual image itself, that itself that it in itself is a success because I am responding to it. But I'm only responding to it because I am doing this podcast about it. Because I'm not really uh, I I can't really find. Much of his work that I'm really digging, and if I I look at his work, you know, I find it to be just a a weird use of composition, uh, a a non-informed really use of color, uh, and and everybody loves him. I mean, I'm I'm gonna tell you right now because, like I said, when I did that Ovation TV show and I did my Rauschenberg riff. I really want people to question why they love him. Don't love him. You love him because you love him, and he's obviously making you cry, and you really love his work. But why do you really love him? Because I really look at his work, and I think every art student in art class learns to love him. And I want to offer a counterpoint of view that we have to be very careful about uh, calling certain people artists who haven't paid their dues about really being a, an artist. And I feel like there's a certain thing. You, Lizzie, look, you, you, you spent a lot of time studying to become an art historian. You didn't just say, like, I'm going to be an art historian. And I don't want to say that. I feel like everybody can be an artist and everybody should create. That's a different thing than when someone becomes the artist and gets the spotlight and is hanging at the moment and is fetching million-dollar seven-figure prices. That's what I'm talking about right here. Like, we got to be real careful about who we call an artist. So when I look at a Rauschenberg and I know that, you know, like I said, people don't like when I say this, but I don't really consider him an artist. I consider this really like just junk thrown against a canvas. And and it's just look at this one. Just look at this one. I'm looking at them all. Would you hang that on your wall?
1: That was the one that you referenced earlier. Would yeah. I hang it on my wall? Proudly. Okay. Yeah, of course. And you mentioned paying <laughs> dues, which is something that I, I struggle with because I think that people who don't have access to traditional art school, like we've talked about so many times before, that right. they can also really add to the lexicon of art. But mm-hmm. Robert Rauschenberg happened to study art. He went to Black Mountain College, which was they don't really... be really... Te- they don't
0: teach how to draw over at Black Mountain College. I but not everybody
1: that. has to learn how to draw.
0: Yes, you do. You have to... I, that's a fundamental disagreement we just are not in alignment with because I believe if you're an artist... It's like saying something to somebody who says, you can play the piano, but you really don't have to learn how to play the piano. But then what the fuck are you doing? Like, you have to play the piano. Like, that makes no sense if you don't learn... You don't have to read music, but you have to understand a whole language. And in art, I feel like you have to... Take basic figure drawing class. And look, you could teach yourself. I'm not saying you don't have have to go to school. Back in the days, all the old masters used to train at ateliers with master people, master artists. That's how we learned. Now we have the advent of art college. I don't think you need to go to art college at all. You can learn on your own for sure. You could be broke as a joke and just learn on your own and become great. And I don't think that you can take you need to take your draftsmanship to Michelangelo or John Singer Sargent, because nine billion out of nine billion and one times, that's not going to happen anyway. No one's going to get to that level. No one's going to be Rembrandt. But I think that you have to have a basic, fundamental understanding of drawing and painting. In general, and I know you're gonna tell me, well, the, he studied at the Academy of Beaux-Arts, actually, Boa. Is that what you're gonna say right now? <laughs> no,
1: I was gonna say you're right that in order to be a pianist, you have to learn how to play the piano. Right. But you don't have to know how to play the piano to be a clarinet-ist <laughs> to right, play but the that, clarinet artist. Right. But I
0: think that you're but I think that you're then arguing in favor of my argument, which is you have to have a fundamental education about the medium that you're going to engage in. And perhaps And he he did. He did. His
1: medium was assemblage, was sculpture, Mm -hmm. was collage. And he was well-versed in those practices. His medium was not drawing. So who cares if he was a draftsman? That wasn't his thing.
0: But he was painting all the time. So was not...
1: Yeah, but he wasn't... He was painting using the pigment as the composition. He would use gold leaf that he applied through layer and layer and layer because his objective was to create these textural surfaces. He used dirt as uh, fodder for some of his art. He painted in this uniform white. So he's not painting in a normative way. And so I don't believe he needs to have normative training.
0: Okay. Well... I have a fundamental disagreement about that because I feel like you really do need a fundamental understanding of composition, even if you're self-taught, and color, and 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 drawing. Uh, I was a professor of you know figure drawing for twelve years at USC, and I studied with like you know Glenn Vilpoo and and uh, Burn Hogarth and some you know a guy at fifty uh, seventh Street at the Art Students League named Gustav Rayberger who was goddamn almost close as uh, about as good as Michelangelo and Glenn Vilpo is considered a master. He's in the Master Draftsman, uh, Master Draftsman series of art books. But that being said, just because, you know, I've had an education in terms of drawing and I love fundamental classical drawing, I don't think anybody needs to do that to be to be great at all. I look at artists that I personally love, like Crum. Crumb's not a great draftsman at all. You know, Crumb is a really funny Draftsman, and he, you know he's able to articulate himself enough to get the message across. And I feel like that's what it is. You got to be able to be versed in cert- a certain level of verse, and then you can graduate and go do what the fuck you want to do. I mean, look at Picasso. Picasso was a prodigal draftsman. By the time he was thirteen, he was like, boom, Blue Period, Rose Period, Cubism. This guy was like off to the races, right? So, and also Rauschenberg to me is. Very triggering, because to me, Rauschenberg is the quintessential person that everybody wants to be and everybody is trying to do now. So Rauschenberg perhaps was there first, but now you go to the museums and the galleries and you're like, oh, my God, look at that. It's like a Rauschenberg, and it's selling for you know, you know $180,000, and you just know that anybody could fucking do it. Anybody could do it. Don't bullshit me. Anybody could f- fucking do that. And everybody's doing it, too. And they're making, you know, they're like, I don't want to learn how to draw and paint. It is hard. It's difficult. It's it's intense. I don't want to learn how to play the piano and learn all the keys and, uh, you know, how to use my hands and and to read sheet music. Like, I don't want to do that. I understand how hard that is. And I play the piano on a very, like, minimal level. But I don't want to do that because I know how hard it is. And I feel like now today, Rauschenberg uh, has become... The the person that everybody imitates, emulates, adores, admires, and says, Oh man, one day I'm gonna be like that. And they do it and they skip and they skip the line.
1: I think it's a different line. To me, his lineage comes from people like Schwitters, who was an assemblage artist, or Duchamp, who introduced this concept of a ready-made. Yeah, but I like
0: Duchamp. And I've I've yeah, I do. I think Duchamp knew descending the staircase, I always liked that painting. I'm not telling you that I love the urinal, or you know, I love the urinal. No, but I feel, no, but I understand it. <laughs> yeah, I feel, yeah, I get I feel that. its place in art historical context, just like I feel Warhol's place in art history. I don't love, I don't love Basquiat, but I understand his place, uh, and I and I certainly understand, you know, D- Diebenkorn and de Kooning's place. But I look at Rauschenberg, I feel like it's gone too far. That's all. That's my opinion. It exists. It doesn't matter what I think. That's the end of the day. But I think you need a dissenting opinion, and I'm the opinion, and I'm the voice of dissension.
1: This is true. It's very scary over here, uh, absorbing all this dissent. But to me, you asked a while ago why I love Rauschenberg, and it is not just because he is the darling of the art world. I don't even know if... I believe that's true. When you mention all of these contemporary artists quoting his aesthetic, who do you mean? Because I've never Go seen anyone. Go look at the
0: comments on my YouTube video <laughs> about how fucking people love him.
1: No, no, that I get. But oh, you're okay. saying all of these artists—they're just trying to do what Rauschenberg did. No, when I walk did, into like a contemporary
0: gallery, I see artists that are emulating Rauschenberg, and I'm like, God, that looks like a fucking Rauschenberg. Like, what are you doing? Like, what is? What are you doing? That's taking it to another level. They're just imitating him,
1: and that's but fair. they're fetching great
0: prices. That's what I'm saying.
1: So, who are some of these people? That's my I question. I don't know. I'm
0: just walking into galleries. Oh, I'm, just, okay. I'm just talking out of my ass because, <laughs> no, but in a way, but like when I see artwork, I'm like, God, that looks like a Rauschenberg, or God, that looks like a Rauschenberg, God, that looks like a Rauschenberg, you know? So, like for me, I see a lot of people that emulate them. But look, I see people that are emulating me. I see people that are emulating Picasso. I see people that are, it's very hard to be an original. It is very difficult to be an original artist, to come with an original point of view. With an original perspective, with an original vision, with an original voice—that's hard. You don't see it a lot in music. You don't see it a lot in art. You just don't.
1: Well, even when you create, everything is about a synthesis of experience. Uh, Absolutely. And so, ooh, sorry, I thought that was a mosquito that was flying over my hand. <laughs> um, anyway, to to um, finish yeah. up my perspective on Rauschenberg, you asked why I particularly like him, mm-hmm. and to me, the history is so integral. To understanding his work and to go from a Pollock to a Warhol, that aesthetic could not be more dissimilar. And to go from one to the other, we need really strong visual disruptive voices in order to bridge the 50s to the 60s. And that is what Rauschenberg did. That's what Johns did too. But I think that Rauschenberg's conceptual art, the work that he did, the white paintings, the clocks, the erase to Kooning that we talked about in a different episode, the early combine. I'm not as interested in his later combines as I you am. You don't think
0: they look like little homeless shelters and garbage factories? I mean,
1: I laughed because I can see where you're coming from, but I also <laughs> know enough about Rauschenberg's practice to have a different counter narrative to that. But yeah, it's a funny anecdote because there's truth to it. But I think his early conceptual pieces, his Mm -hmm. dances, his work with John Cage, this tire print, I think all of that is just so luminously elegant and such an interesting way of taking the style that initially launched the US as this global tastemaker to transitioning that aesthetic to make way for pop. And so I think for those reasons he is incredibly influential and I really love his embrace of the void. I think that, that that's a that's an interesting conceptual practice okay. and I I think that his executions of uh, those inquiries are really successful.
0: Okay, well, look, I have a lot of admiration for your point of view and your opinion. I still hate Rauschenberg. I I feel like he should really not be called an artist. He should be called a cleverest. So let's start talking about him that way, everybody out there. Uh, but that being said, I'm you know everything you say I always listen to, uh, I always value, and I think you're you're brilliant with your with why you love something. I just think on this one, I would just agree to disagree.
1: That's fair. Let's do it.
0: Okay, everybody. Thank you. Peace.